Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Let us join together in prayer. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. And may your words be more to us than only words, and we more than only hearers, but doers. In Christ's name, amen. Today's story from Luke's Gospel is most often known as the parable of the prodigal son, but it's also called the parable of the lost boys, or as writer and preacher George Buttrick calls it, the parable of the waiting father, or according to Fred Craddock, it's the parable of the loving father. And author Timothy Keller calls it the parable of the prodigal God. In fact, it seems that what one calls it indicates what one thinks is most important in the story, where one places the emphasis. Jesus simply says, there was a man who had two sons. Yet however we might title it, it's a story of how grace is amazing and and sweet-sounding, especially in in a story we didn't read this morning, when, when you're the one lost sheep that's sought and found by the good shepherd who leaves the 99 others and goes looking for you. Or in the story after that, when, when you're the lost coin that the woman stays up all night trying to find. This is a story of how grace is absolutely amazing and very sweet-sounding, especially when you're a son who's shamed the family and asked for your inheritance, effectively telling your father that you wish he were dead. How grace is amazingly sweet-sounding when, when you then squander it all in self-indulgent living and end up tending to pigs, and, and everyone knows that no self-respecting Jewish man would be a pig farmer if he had any other choice. And this is a story of how grace is maybe even more amazing and even sweeter sounding when after all of that, you as last resort finally do decide to return home. So you devise a plan, a plan to plead your case with your father and, and ask him to take you back as as a hired hand, only instead, miraculously, inexplicably, before you can even utter a word of your carefully rehearsed speech, your father meets you as he humiliates himself, running, running, mind you, to meet you. And then before you know it, you find yourself at the place of honor at the largest barbecue dance party you've ever seen and certainly ever been a part of, especially after all of that, if you're this son, grace is absolutely amazing and oh so sweet sounding. 
But when you're the son who stayed home, the one who's been left with twice the work and potentially a good bit less inheritance by the frivolous, immature, thoughtless, selfish, egotistical, greedy actions of of a younger sibling. When you've done your job and followed the rules, honored your father and lived a respectful life, when when you're the one who's done everything anyone could ask of a of a good play by the rules, law-abiding son, then grace can be a whole lot less amazing and even too sweet-sounding, especially when it's directed at a rascal brother of yours. For where's the justice in that? And yet, as some of you know, that's, that's sometimes the way it is with brothers. Maybe the way that it's, that it's always been. In fact, maybe we should have known that it would be like this as soon as Jesus opened his mouth and said, A man had two sons. For have we forgotten there was, there was Cain and Abel? And Lord knows that didn't go so well and then Isaac and Ishmael and and Jacob and Esau just read that story if you want a close look at competition and jealousy and and a lack of grace between brothers and then there was Joseph and his 11 brothers don't get me started talking about that story and if you're not familiar with those brother stories, look them up. They're all right there in the very first book of the Bible. For brothers can be trouble, or so it seems. And you'd think the Pharisees to whom Jesus first directly addressed this story would know that. For believe me, there are some things one learns when one has two sons. For example, one learns that if you throw baseballs up in the air when the ceiling fan is on, surprisingly, even double-pane windows don't stop a baseball hit solidly by a ceiling fan. You also learn later when questioning the culprits that when using a ceiling fan as a bat, you have to throw the ball up several times before you actually get a hit. If you're the parent of two sons, you learn that when you hear the toilet flush and the words, uh-oh, it's already too late. You learn that no matter how much jello you put in a child's swimming pool, you still can't walk on water. When you're the parent of two sons, you learn that garbage bags, even the heavy-duty lawn kind, don't make good parachutes. And I could go on and on, but to wrap it up, when one is the parent of two sons, one learns that there's always competition from who can clear the farthest distance from when jumping off the top bunk of a bunk bed to who can hit the most home runs in backyard wiffle ball home run derby. For as we look together at this story this morning, suffice it to say, there are no doubt some among us who can find ourselves in Jesus' story because we can readily identify with the younger son. 
We know exactly how it feels to make some foolish mistakes, some bad choices, some poor decisions, to say some things we wish we hadn't said, and to have a loving, giving, receiving Father forgive our missteps and, and love us through it all. And yet I also think I can say with some assurance that even the most optimistic of us younger son types, even when we do come to ourselves, never in our wildest imagination would expect a party. And certainly not one like this father threw for his son, for I'm pretty sure they didn't serve Presbyterian grape juice, and that there wasn't a low cholesterol or calorie choice on the menu. In fact, sweet-sounding, amazing grace like this father showed his son with this party is often deemed socially and even politically incorrect. For the truth is, this son would have taken anything, anything, in order to return home. But instead, he got everything. Everything from the father. And there lies the problem. For this is the party the older son simply can't bring himself to acknowledge, much less to attend. It's simply too much, too over the top. It didn't even include an, okay, son, I'll take you back, but only if, if you promise never to live so slovenly and stupidly again. Not even that kind of lecture from the father. Not even a fine, you can come back, but but you've used up your last chance, straighten up, fly right. I, I certainly hope you've learned your lesson. None of that from the Father. Instead, a big hug and new clothes and restoration to the family and a blow-it-out three-alarm, no-holds-barred celebration with a fatted calf and a live band and probably all-night dancing. And in his indignation and his hurt, and his disappointment and his sense of injustice, the elder brother simply can't bring himself to take part in that. It's just not fair. And I suspect there are some among us, some among us who can readily identify with this son as well. For this son can't go in because he, he's better. He's better than his no good brother. He did his job and followed the rules and worked the farm and did his chores and taught Sunday school and, and worked at the food pantry and on and on and on. He's the responsible one, the respectable one. He was nothing like his, uh, his brother. The older brother is upset because in comparison with his brother, he knows he's more righteous, more faithful, more deserving, that he's better. And some among us can identify with him, I imagine. And you know, I think maybe if Jesus were to tell the story today, if he were to tell the story in, in the year 2020, he might suggest the Father was giving a party for someone that in comparison, we know that we're better than as well. Maybe someone like Derek Chauvin, the police officer who kneeled for so long on George Floyd's neck. Or like Travis McMichael, who along with his son, seemingly ran down and shot a jogging Armand Arbery. We're better than they are, aren't we? 
Or how about the woman who's arrested and accused of setting fire to the Wendy's restaurant just because it was where Rayshard Brooks was shot? Or, or the policeman who, who violently pushed down the 75-year-old the because he was protesting? Even in our anger and our disappointment with injustice, we wouldn't have done that, would we? In comparison, we're, we're better than that, aren't we? Surely the Father wouldn't, couldn't show grace to them. For the problem, it seems, at least according to the story, is that when grace is real and amazing and, and sounds its absolute sweetest, it's not tied to virtue. And that's amazing for the recipients of the grace. But for the ones who, in comparison, are, are better, it's complicated and sometimes offensive and often a bit too sweet-sounding. When grace is extended to those to whom we compare ourselves and, and in doing so deem less worthy, it can be difficult to take. Not to mention celebrate with a five-alarm party. It can be hard to bear. A lot like Jesus eating with tax collectors and thieves, for shouldn't he be isn't he, isn't he better than that? So, what might we title the story? Well, Jesus simply says, there was a man who had two sons. And therefore, maybe this story might be mostly about the man which is to say this story might be mostly about God. And therefore, if for a moment we take our eyes off the sons and stop identifying with one or the other or maybe both and stop comparing ourselves to them and turn our attention to the Father, our perspective and our sense of virtue might shift a bit. For when we pick a son in this story and compare ourselves to him and consider the parable from his perspective, we can always find room to feel better more righteous. In fact, we can always find those around us who are less virtuous, less deserving, and thus feel like we're better. But maybe Jesus is saying that it's not about our comparison to our brother or even our neighbor, but that in our relationships with others, in how we deal with others, we're not compared to either of these sons but rather to God. We're compared with how God deals with both of these sons. And if we're honest about it, with us. Now, as you know, the story ends with the father pleading with the elder son to come to the party with the only thing left that needs to happen being for this elder son to recognize that he's always been and will always be a son and never a slave. With him having the opportunity to come in and dance with the rest of the family to the sweet sound of amazing grace. But we're not told what happens. For maybe it's for us to decide. There was a man who had two sons. And maybe that's our clue. That's who these two boys were, sons of this father. 
And that's who they would always be, no matter what. And that's who we are, no matter what. Sons and daughters, children of this Father. A Father who invites us over and over, even in this service, even if remotely, to experience the sweet-sounding, amazing grace of this very inclusive party and the sweet taste of his very inclusive table where it's not about our comparative virtue but where it's every bit about God's never ever too sweet sounding amazing grace let us pray. God of grace, we give you thanks for the privilege of being your children, for the honor of receiving the unconditional care and love you give us that thankfully is not tied to our virtue and that we can never earn or deserve. Give us faith to see and to believe that we might celebrate. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.